Last century, one of the great preachers of America was a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody. Uh, you may have heard quite a bit of stories about D.L. Moody. He was a character for sure. Uh, on one occasion, he was to be ordained, and uh, he was refused ordination, and he said this, that's okay, I don't need your empty hands on my empty head anyway. Yeah, he, was a, he was a charger, he was a, a go-getter, he was a, a doer. And because of that, um, was used of God greatly, not only because of that, but because he submitted himself to the Lord. He made this statement in a message on the love of God. He said, it would not take 24 hours to make the world come to God if you could just make people believe that God is love. If you can really make a man believe you love him, then you've won him. And if you could only make people believe that God loves them, what a rush we would see for the kingdom of God. Oh, how they would not just rush in. But the man of today has a false idea about God, and he will not believe that God is love. And that is because he does not know God. And John said, if you know God, you know love. And the reality is, uh, in the world in which we live, uh, we live in, we are wa- regularly watching love be redefined, and God be redefined. And when you redefine God, you have to redefine love, because God is love. It's not that love is God, and so if you're trying to define God by defining Him through your understanding of love, you're going to come up short. I think I agree mostly with what Moody said. If people just knew how much God really loved them, it would change their perspective about God and certainly about salvation. The Apostle Paul knew this. If you have your Bibles, would you find Ephesians chapter 3 again? Grant read the text, and I'm going to just focus on two verses. And those two verses have to do with a part of a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. He wrote this letter to Ephesus, but it is for us. So this prayer applies today to Hibernia. The prayer is that we would have divine enablement, strength, by understanding the love of God. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays, verse 14, by bowing his knee. Uh, Then in verse 18, 18, he says, I pray that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Being filled with all of God, being filled with the fullness of God, starts with comprehending the incomprehensible, grasping that which surpasses knowledge. And that's the love of God. I have a tall task, not only today, but in this series as I talk about the love of God. Our theme today is our theme for the year. You are loved by God. And my desire is, is really just to look at part of this text and to investigate the love of God that goes beyond really our ability to get to the bottom of. The founder of the evangelical movement of the Church of England was the guy by the name of Charles Simeon. Um, Some of you who teach the Bible may have some of his commentaries and books. Simeon was 
said to have used this passage I just read as his life verses, that he quoted them all the time. In fact, when Simeon died, it was said the last words on his lips were what I just read. Very ironic, if you heard me say he was the founder of the evangelical movement of the Church of England, very ironic in that this week you heard news from the Church of England that they're thinking about the way they pray to our Heavenly Father and maybe calling Him Heavenly Mother. They're not sure what gender to assign God. And why, and and this sermon is not a reaction to what's going on in our world. It's not a reaction, certainly, to what happened last week. This was planned before that. Um, But just to strengthen the argument here that when you, you don't have the right understanding of God, you you can't have, you can't land on the right understanding of love. That's my thesis. It's, It's really from this text. You have to understand the love of God by understanding who God is. And, and that only happens through divine enablement. Like you don't arrive at understanding who God is and his love by going to seminary or taking theology classes or going to a hundred Bible studies or attending church every week. Those are all helpful. And I would encourage some of those things to all of us. But the only way to understand who God is and therefore then his love is by divine assistance. This is why Paul prays. I'm praying that God will grant you, that's grace you, or give you what you, you don't have. And then that you would be, then in this prayer, you'd be planted and grounded. It's pretty awesome. Planted meaning that you've been rooted in the love of God, and so your roots are growing deeper, and if your roots grow deeper, then you get to grow higher, and that you're founded. That's a foundation. If you're going to build a building, you have to have a foundation. The larger the building, the larger foundation. The more capacity you have to understand the love of God means you're going to have to have more of a foundation, which means not only are you graced this incredible enablement to know the love of God, after you're graced, you and I have to make the effort to grow in our understanding of the love of God, okay? So this doesn't just happen passively. Like we're not just sitting around going, boy, I sure hope I can understand more about God and his love by sitting still. You have to sit still and you have to go hard. All right, how does that happen? Well, let's look at this because the reality is Paul wants the church at Ephesus to be strong in their inner man. Everyone say inner man, inner person. Only the believer has the ability to grow strong in the inner man or the inner being. The the, the secular, the uh, naturalist, the unbeliever doesn't have this ability. I was speaking to um, I was speaking to someone this week about what happens to people who have gone through very difficult circumstances. And as I was talking, um, what I heard in response was that some of the people that have gone through, in fact, a lot of the people who've gone through very difficult combat situations have leaned into God, leaned into God. And the reason that they lean into God is because they didn't have the strength within themselves to even survive what they were going through. So sometimes people will say, well, yeah, you know, these Christians, this is not something new. It began in the first century, every century. Uh, pursuant, Christians are the weakest of people. Now, we will appear that way sometimes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, we're told we're not the most noble, not the most educated sometimes. Uh, we come across sometimes crass. Uh, we, we seem to have 
just a need for God, and so therefore we're weak. And so we use religion as a crutch. That's kind of the way Christians are looked at sometimes. We all know that. Sometimes people look at Christianity this way, if I can put it this way. Everybody needs their thing, you know. Some people, it's to get out into nature. Other people, it's to join a club. It's to be a part of some altruistic society. For you, it's religion. That's great. For some people, it's the stock market. For some people, it's their job. I mean, everybody's got to have something, right? And you got your thing, and good for you. Some people need that. It's just another way of saying there's a weakness, and you're filling that weakness with your Christianity. There's a pastor by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you've never heard that name, um, and you say, what does that mean to me? It's pretty special because he's one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He's in heaven now. He was a physician and got called to preach and left his practice to preach the gospel. But he did a lot of study on depression and discouragement. One of the things he said about non-Christians, listen to this, non-Christians. He said, the ultimate trouble with the non-Christian. Remember, I'm saying that sometimes Christians are looked at as weak people, but he says, this medical doctor who did a lot of study on uh, medical clinical depression, the ultimate trouble with non-Christians is that they know nothing of the inner being. His whole life, the non-believer, his whole life is bounded by what he's aware of, his sensations within himself and correspondence with what he has seen in the world, hears in the world, and handles in the world. In other words, the, the one who doesn't have the inner being to be strengthened only can run to outside stimuli when circumstances get difficult. So if you are not able to speak to yourself, not able to strengthen the, yourself in the inner man, you, you just run where you can, to psychology, to chemicals, to experiences, to spending, on and on it goes. There's lots of Lots of pills you can swallow. Where do people go when they get stressed out? Where do people go when they're weakened by their circumstances and difficult? I mean, there's things at work have just gone haywire. Life is going awry. I think, what do we do? We just need to get away. Let's just go to the beach. Let's get out in nature. I've been out in nature this week doing yard work. Not at my house, but for in-laws and my... Uh, I've been bit by every bug on, on the man, and I have been stuck by every thorn growing, and uh, my hands are tore up, my feet are tore up. I mean, let me tell you something. Nature's wonderful, but it will bite you, it will burn you, and it will bring you under. I saw a sign I hadn't seen in a long time. It was real popular, I think, when I was in high school. Life's a beach. That sounds really, really good when the sea breeze is blowing and it's 100 degrees inland. It's not so good when the hurricane hits. That is more of a reality, right? So you're going to run to nature. Is that where you're going to run to find your strength? Or maybe it's the human experiences. We're going to run to other people, but everyone in this room knows that every relationship is subject sometimes to heartache, hurt, or loss. But where do you go? Ah, I go to myself. I don't need anybody. We all know that's a joke. Uh, pride comes before the fall, and there is no one who can live independent of others, and certainly no one who can live independent of God. Thank God uh, that we have the inner man, right? Because someone said it to me even this morning, 
Every morning I get up, I thank God if something new is not hurting. But the outward man is perishing day by day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the inward man is growing, is being renewed. It's strengthening day by day. So for the believer, we have a strength that no matter what's happening on the outside, and I've been there in that that room, I, I can't even describe to you If you've never seen this, what cancer can do to a body. And while the outward is perishing, to watch that person growing stronger, knowing that they're going to be with their Lord. I would just say, as Paul prays for the church, that it's not the Christian that's weak. We may appear that way. We may seem that way to the outside world as we live meek and kind and loving lives. But there's not weakness in that meekness. There's strength to stand firm and even be willing to give it all. Just recently, we've talked to missionaries, and we've heard from missionaries who serving the Lord Jesus Christ are doing so at their own physical peril and stand in jeopardy of losing their physical lives. Who does that? Not weak people. Who gives up their own personal comfort to go to a nation they've never lived in and to be subjected to all the diseases and difficulties of that situation? Not weak people. Who goes into a village, sits down with people that they don't know if they're going to receive them or kill them, but do it because the gospel is more important than their life? Not weak people. Who is willing to go to prison to give up their career, their job, put in jeopardy everything that they own for the gospel? That's why Paul prays for the church at Ephesus because he sees and there's a tearing already of these Christians away from their Lord and they are growing cold in their love. And he he prays for them that by God's grace that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God and grow in it. David, a great king who was so strong, I mean, would fight Goliath and the Philistines and was a man of war. I mean, he was a man's warrior. On one occasion, was suffering in such discouragement and depression because he was away from home, being chased, hunted, everything was going wrong. He did this. He said, why, as he speaks, why are you cast down? And then who is he speaking to? His own soul, his inner being. He talks to himself. Do you ever talk to yourself? If you play golf, you talk to yourself. Why did you do that? Golf is a very humbling game if you ever played. Someone says, all right, talk to yourself so long as you don't answer back. You know what David did? When he was facing difficulty, he spoke to his inner being, but he spoke truth. Here's what he said. He said to his inner being, hope in God. Again, I will praise him. You're my salvation. My soul is cast down within me, but I'll remember you. 
It's at the end of that psalm. He says it again, I'll hope in God. There's just times where we have to speak to ourselves. Again, the medical doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, turned preacher, said this in his sermon on spiritual depression. Have you realized, listen to what he said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? It's not just in talking to ourselves, it's speaking the truth to ourselves. One of the best ways to speak truth to ourselves is to do what Paul does and to bow our knee and to pray and to pray the will of God and the truth of Scripture so that we're reminded of something very important here, and that's the love of God. How do we know the love of God? It's past understanding, it's past knowledge. Well, there's two ways. Because if you look with me at the very end of this prayer, um, verse 19, Paul says, I want you to know the love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge. And here's why. I want you to know this, this incredible love that passes and surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Everyone say fullness of God. Here's another way to say it. We might say, it, so we'd be full of God. So we're full of God. That, that in itself is a whole other sermon, so I'm not going to get into that, but I just want you to think that thought. Am I, am I full of God? How am I full of God? Well, two things have to happen primarily. I have to be emptied of self. If, I, if I'm full of self, I'm not full of God. Amen? All right, I can move on because that's easy. But here's the second. It's not just emptying ourselves of self and filling ourselves full of God. It's, it's actually enlarging our capacity for God. You can grow in that. This is why I'm telling you that we can grow in the love of God, even though his love doesn't grow, his love doesn't expand because his love is perfect and God is love. Our capacity for understanding his love can grow. I don't know how to express this or illustrate this, so I'll use what I, the best I can. And Suppose you're a runner and you like to run and you're going to run a 5K. You ever run a 5K? If you're really good, you can run that 5K in under 20 minutes. So your, your, your goal is, I'm going to run a 5K, but you run, and you, and you look at your watch, and it's 29.30. You're not even close. You're not even close to 20 minutes. So what do you do? You run, and you run, and you run, and you run, and you train, and you train, and you eat right, and you lose weight, and you get better shoes and better clothes. I mean, every little bit matters because you're trying to get from 29.30 down to 20. You're expanding your capacity, okay? Now you can do more, faster. Right, that, that might not fit all of you. Um, I, ride, I like riding bikes. I have a regular bike. It's not electric. It doesn't have any ad- assistant power. I'm riding down sometimes, and people fly by me. I'm like, good night. How fast are they riding? And they have what? I an electric bike. It's cheating. I was talking to someone on the electric bike. They said, no, no, I ride, and I get as much exercise on my electric bike as I would on a regular bike. I just go further, so I cover more distance, and I get to see more. Well, that's pretty cool. The, the, the idea of increasing our capacity to understand the love of God is that we get to see more of His love, experience more of His love. It is a, a way in which that we can grow, but it doesn't happen apart from the supernatural assistance of God through prayer, and then us being willing to understand His love. 
I want to look at these four dimensions of his love, and then I'll finish it up here. Look at the four dimensions of love that we've got to grow in. Number one, the, the breadth of his love. So we've got four dimensions of his love, and they're very interesting here, aren't they? The breadth, length, height, and depth. Four dimensions here. Typically, when we measure something, well, how long is it? How wide is it? We don't usually say how long, how wide, how tall, how deep is this thing? So this is what Paul's trying to say. We, we, if we're going to understand God's love, you, you've got to love it, understand it exhaustively. You've got to try to get to the end of it. And you never will because throughout all of eternity, we're going to be exposed to the love of God in new and fresh ways. And it's going to be awesome. But notice the breadth of his love. Here's the breadth of his love. The breadth of his love, I believe, applies to the fact that it's all of the family of God that is reached. We are all the same family if we have been saved. And we are all named, Paul says in this prayer, by the name of God. Father God. And he is Father God. We're in his family. And by the way, I think it's fair that God gets to uh, decide his own gender and his own pronouns. So when he says he's Father God and we're his children, think about we all of us are children. And when I say all of us, that means, well, all of us who are saved. All generations, whether in heaven and earth, all different continents, and all different. I mean, just all different people. Like some of us are very vanilla and some of us are like Baskin Robbins. I mean, there's all types of people in the family of God, right? Think about the breadth of his love. He's, he's, he's loving all people from all places so that when we read the book of Revelation, we see in the end, there's every person represented there from I mean, every tribe, every tongue represented before the throne of God. It's going to be an incredible sight when all these who have been saved from all the ages, from all different places are before the throne of God. What I do diverse place. I couldn't help but think this this week, that if you really want to experience diversity, it is in God that you find it. Because God loves all people. No wonder Paul bows his knee. It's humbling to think that God would love me. It's humbling to think that God would love me, but he does. Someone has said, the love of God humbles a person without deflating him and exalts a man without inflating him. All types of people. Let's listen to Alistair Begg. And that guy, not only do I love his Scottish brogue, but I, he just makes me laugh out loud. And he was uh, reminding me of a song that we sang growing up. We sang this song quite often. I forgot that it was a Bill Gaither song, Carlos. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I, I don't know where it was. We used to sing this a lot. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washing the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. Alistair Begg said, we ought to sing that honestly. Here's how you sing the song honestly, he said. I'm shocked you're a part of the family of God. I thought about it. He said, you know, the reason I say that, he said, is because I look in the mirror and I think, I'm shocked that I'm in the family of God. I think that when you began and I began to think about the love of God for us, we, we ought to be shocked, right? Surprised that he loved us. But think about the length of his love, the length of his love. The word length is the word mekos in the Greek. It is akin to megas, which means it's super long. It, it's not just what you can see. It's way beyond that. From eternity past to eternity future, he 
chose us in the beloved before the time, before there was a creation. He loved you before there was anything. Think about that. And he'll love you when there is eternity only and this earth is no more. I heard about some guys flying in a plane, their pilot passed out. They didn't know what to do. Neither one knew how to fly. They jumped in the seat, arguing who's going to be the pilot. Okay, pilot. They get on the phone or the the radio. See, I'm I'm not a pilot. I would have loved to have been one. On the radio with with a tower. And the tower is talking them down, calming them down. Just, I'm going to lead you in. I'm going to tell you what runway. I'm going to give you a runway to land on. We're going to clear that runway. So you make sure you land on runway three because it's clear. And we have service vehicles there in case anything goes wrong. We have everything. It's got to be three. You see three. It's big. Yes, we see three. They circle around to three. They pull in to to, to land, but pull up at the last minute. The tower, why didn't you land? That that, that runway's not long enough. We, We can't stop the plane on it. Yes, you can. They circle around. They keep doing this, keep chickening out. Finally, they're running out of fuel, and the tower says, if you don't land, you're going to crash. Okay, we're going to do it, but it's just not long enough. There's not a longer runway. We've given you the longest runway. So they come in to land, and uh, they said, we don't think we can do it. The tower says, look, when you hit the ground, put the flaps down, reverse the engines, and put on the brakes as hard as you can. And so they did. They landed and on a dime stopped, right, in the middle of that runway. I mean, the plane is nose down. They are stopped. They can't believe how quickly they came to a stop. They can't believe they're alive. And the one guy says, man, I cannot believe how short that runway was. The other guy said, but look how wide this thing is. (laughs) Talks among yourselves. (laughs) It's how I think it is. We see the love of God sometimes. We see the love of God right here, right now. Thank God that he loves me. He loved me through the circumstance. He loved me through this situation. But you know what? God always loved you. He loved you before you were ever here, and he'll love you forever. Why do I want to just, that's a stupid story, I know. You'll remember it, though, won't you? And you'll say this, I'm not sure God loves me for what I've done. No, no, no. He, he loved you before you did it. And he'll love you forever. At weddings, you know, typically there's a wedding band given. And something sometimes is said about the wedding band. Something along the lines of, this is a, a circle. It's never ending. Like our love is to never end. There's some sort of vow given with that. And in that, there's a symbol of everlasting love. It may not always be the case in the human experience, even though that's the vow. It is always the case with Christ. So we see in here the height of his love. We see also the length of his love. We see the height of his love, the height of his love. And I won't say much here other than what Paul has already said in the book of Ephesians, and that is that he has taken us from the worldly realm and he's placed us with Christ in heavenly places. This is in chapter one. That what we are already are with Christ in heavenly places in heaven. So though we're on earth physically, 
positionally, we, we've been already rescued and we're at the right hand of God the Father with Christ. So that, and here's how Paul said it, so that in chapter one, so that he might throughout eternity show us the immeasurable riches of his love. I'm not sure everything about the height here, but I do know this, that throughout all of eternity, we'll never be able to scale the height of his love, but forever throughout eternity be surprised and shocked about the incredible love of God for us. For in eternity. And then the depth of his love. Paul says, I want you to know also the depth of his love. What is the depth of his love? Well, look in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Okay, look in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's a good place to bring this to an end. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. That's what you were before you were saved. You were a dead man walking. How deep is God's love? Went six foot under. Grabbed you up out of the grave. And made you alive. Look at this. We were not only dead in trespasses and sins, but we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Can anyone tell me who the prince of the power of the air is? We weren't only dead, we were following the devil. We were at least following his ways. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were dead, devilish, disobedient. And God loved us. He loved dead, devilish, disobedient people. And raised us up. Gave us life. That's incredible love. I want you to know this love, Paul says. I want you to know this love. Because if you know how much God loves you, and that love never, ever despairs, and that love never disintegrates, then you'll be strengthened by might in the inner man. If you know God loves you, then what can man do to you? I mentioned D.L. Moody at the beginning of the message, and I wanted to mention him at the end of the message. Moody had met a man when he had gone over to England. Moody was a pastor at this time in Chicago. D.L. Moody had met a man while he was in England who said, Mr. Moody, I would love one day to come to America. And if I come to America, I would like to preach in your church. And Moody being kind said, that would be wonderful. And then the man came to America and sent Moody a letter. I'm in America and I want to preach in your church. As uh, Providence would have it, Moody was going to have to be out of town on a Wednesday, on the very Wednesday that this man could be at his church. And so this pastor by the name of Morehouse was asked by Moody to come and preach. Moody told his deacons, hey, I have this man coming to preach. I don't know much about what he's going to say or how well he preaches. So if he stutters or stammers at the end, you make some closing remarks to save the service. Moody went out of town. The man came and preached. He received a note from his wife. We're having a revival. It's been great services every night. Moody wrote back to her, every night, I didn't give her... I didn't give permission to have a revival. I gave him permission to preach one night. What's he doing? She said, he's preaching John 3.16, the love of God, every night. 
Moody came home, talked to his wife. He was very incredulous about what was going on. How could someone speak about the love of God every night? How does he preach on John 3.16 every night? Listen to what his wife said. His wife, okay. Mr. Moody, think if your wife addresses you by your surname, you better perk up. Mr. Moody, I want you to go down and listen to that young man, and I want you to get converted. Moody was dumbfounded and overwhelmed. Converted? I've been preaching in this church for 20 years, and I've been faithful to my Lord. Get converted? What do you mean? She said, you go to the service tonight, and you'll understand what I mean. He went to the service. He sat down in the front row. He was quite critical of the preacher. Here he is going to take up the subject again of the love of God. And he's preaching from John 3.16. But when he was finished preaching, Moody said scores of people were saved. And Moody himself said, if I could have been converted, I would have been converted all over again. So that night changed my preaching. And I began to preach more about the love of God. If you noticed at the beginning of this message, I quoted D.L. Moody from a sermon on the love of God. I I don't mind saying this. The love of God, at least that subject has been hijacked by progressive and liberals to where now you don't hear much about the love of God sometimes from pulpits. Not in a way that's biblical. But Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would know the love of God because that was what was going to strengthen them through the difficulties and sufferings and trials. That if they would know the love of God, it would keep them close and clean. It would keep them towards the cross. And I want you too to know the love of God. When we begin to comprehend the love of God, we'll be strengthened by might in the inner man. When we grasp the love of God, we become strong on the inside. You're loved by God. If you're saved today, you are loved by God. And when you know His love and and you grasp His love, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You've given us a text like this, not only to show us a a pattern of prayer, but, Lord, a a perspective on Your love. Lord, Your love is so wide and, and so long, so high and so deep. We, we will never be able to comprehend it yet, but we have the capacity to understand it more and more as we grow in it, as we know you, as we love you, and we seek you for who you are. And in the days to come, may we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.